0: Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolutions Editor-in-Chief, Al Walia, speaks with Aaron Brower, who is Executive Director of Extended Campus and Senior Associate Vice President of Academic Affairs at the University of Wisconsin System. As well as Ryan Speck Boardman, who is program manager of the UW Flexible Option at University of Wisconsin Extended Campus. We talked to Aaron and Ryan about the stackable mix and match vision of higher education and how to embrace a more student centered approach to lifelong engagement of education and training. Let's get into it.
1: Aaron and Ryan, thank you guys so much for joining the Illumination by Modern Campus podcast. It's great to be chatting with you both. Uh,
2: Thanks so much for having us. us.
1: We're talking about the book that you two are are spearheading. I'm obviously honoured to be part of the editorial review board with just a number of who's who from, from across the continuing higher education space, New Models of Higher Education Unbundled Customized DIY. Now, the call for chapters is out right now. We're so grateful to you both for taking the time out to chat with us today a little bit about why the time is right for the book, where you're hoping to see it go. So let's start there. I mean, why did Aaron, you and Ryan want to create a book focused on unbundled, customized DIY and new models of higher education?
2: Yeah, again, thanks for having us on. And we're really excited about the opportunity to put this um, edited book together. We've been seeing this phenomenon uh, happening already. Adult students are already putting together their own, uh, we call it kind of DIY pathways. And they often do it despite the institution that they're enrolled in. In other words, there aren't particularly good policies, procedures, practices in institutions to support this probably new way of engaging with education and uh, workforce training outside of education. But at the same time, there's a ton of good work already being done that supports students in this regard. Uh, everything from stackable credentials that are underpinning new, new degree programs to um, work-ready certificates uh, embedded in degree programs to unbundled calendars so students can start multiple starts in a year. The kind of PLA and other sorts of things that convert non-credit to credit. So we wanted to put this all together to to show people what is being done and to push this field uh, down the road a bit further.
3: And I think you know part of the question of why now is that that I've been thinking about a lot lately is how nicely this topic dovetails with the national conversation on skills. And what I mean by that is I think we're seeing a lot of uh, post-secondary institutions and and their private partners thinking about how adult learners are really demanding um, skills over credentials. And so that in many ways translates to students coming, hey, I just want this class because I need to learn this Python training, or I want to do this bootcamp, or I want to do this set of MOOCs. And they're not maybe maybe either less interested or have less demand on, you know, I need to do this entire four-year-long package of things, of which I actually only need skills from 35% of that. So, you know, part of our, our hope here within this, this conversation on better mixing and matching is how can institutions of higher education and and their partners across the ed tech space, workforce training really think about meeting the needs of these adult learners in, in creative ways through more streamlined policies, as Aaron described, more streamlined structures, to let these students kind of, as we say, mix and match, choose their own pathway to acquire the education they need to demonstrate the skills that they're looking for in the modern workforce.
1: Absolutely. And I know later in this conversation, we're going to dive into, I guess, the world of continuing professional that a little bit. But I want to take us there right now because I think this is a good entry point to that discussion. I mean, a lot of this work, as you've both indicated, is kind of happening on the periphery of the institution today. Do you see the future of, I guess, non-degree oriented or non-traditional higher education continuing to live in silos on the periphery of the institution? Or do you see it very much being more the core of what the institution does?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. And you know, part of the impetus for the book also is a broader, I guess, value statement that both Ryan and I have, that with more intentionality about leaning into this kind of engagement of students, lifelong engagement of kind of, again, customized um, pathways, the the more intentionality we bring, we as institutions and, and the ed tech industry brings to this, the better the learning outcomes will be for students. So again, instead of them doing it despite our best efforts. They'll do it, uh, you know, with our full-throated support. So, you know, like where in the institution should this take place, right? And um, you're absolutely right that the continuing ed units are often, not always, but often they've been on the margins of the central strategic planning that a campus does. So both Ryan and I are at the University of Wisconsin uh, system. We're uh, in the University of Wisconsin extended campus, and we support each of the UW campuses, the degree-granting campuses, with the ability to do online programming for adults, both credit and non-credit. We've been in discussion, active discussion with each of those campuses, with the provosts at those campuses to bring those units more centrally into their campus strategic planning and also program array. So, you know, in the ideal world, that unit, which has a longstanding expertise in adult ed and continuing professional ed should be at the table with other expertise, uh, educational expertise and uh, community engagement expertise and corporate relations expertise to map out strategies going forward. Campuses across the country are all over the map here, but, you know, that's the ideal.
3: Yeah, well so Darren. One thing that I think I would add that comes to my mind is really thinking holistically about uh, an institution's academic portfolio. So, you know, what I mean by that is as we're talking about the ways that students might be searching for um, skills-based learning, credentials, full degrees, all of these kind of different elements, the systems of an institution across all of the different products that it offer is going to be best served if it if it's coordinated, if it speaks together. If a student can go and take a four credit course and then, you know, maybe at the same time or the following semester, do a, a, a non-credit short course. And then, maybe the following term, you know, mix that in with the boot camp or some sort. If an institution kind of is able to take a more um, holistic approach to that by integrating the four credit operations to your question, kind of the continuing education operations, I think, as Aaron said, we'll see a lot more intentional outcomes in that space, which might mean better documentation of the learning experience, better access to financing across the learning continuum. And then also just frankly, better service to the student as they are looking for these variety of different educational products across their lifetime.
1: So so I'll tell you, I mean, one of the things that frustrates me a little bit about this subject, and and I think any members of UPSCR, ACHE, or KL will certainly be in the same boat, is these don't feel like new conversations. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm I'm curious about your perspective on the roadblocks that stand in the way of, of the creation of this kind of environment because. You know, what, what we're really talking about here is not necessarily replacing the foundational structure of the institution. It's about creating on-ramps and off-ramps that are more student-oriented and designed to support individuals at points in time with programming that's right for them at that point in time and serves an outcome that they're setting for themselves. I mean, this is very much the, the direction almost every other business has gone in, every other industry has gone in, in terms of finding ways to create opportunities for people to engage with the business in the way that they want to engage. Why is this something that seems so foreign for higher education? Why are we struggling so much to turn this concept into a reality?
2: So there's a lot of different answers to that. (laughs) You know, honestly, there's an urgency now that's different than it was even a year ago, you know, kind of pre-COVID, right? But even beyond the accelerant that the pandemic brought to the recognition of and role of online, and frankly, for consumers, for educational consumers, it's also opened eyes to lots of options that are out there that might not have been looked at um, before. Even outside of that accelerant that the pandemic brought, you know, the world looks different, let's just say a year ago, right? January of (laughs) twenty. as opposed to January of 2015. And so there's just been this accelerating trend towards a much more mix and match model and uh, and need. We've had a ton of discussions with industries in Wisconsin mostly, where they are seeing that they can do better by way of their employees, by customizing their own training, rather than getting degrees. I I was in a meeting with a you know, CEO of a major company, a statewide company that's in the Midwest region who said, honestly, we don't, we're not, we don't care if our, our people have degrees, you know, we're interested to Ryan's point in a set of skills and we map out now entry-level skills, middle manager skills, senior level skills, etc. Basically, he was saying, we don't need you guys. <laughs> So there's a, there's a kind of urgency to this discussion. The second thing is the ed tech industry has just exploded and really sort of come into its own, I would say, in the last year. Uh, again, I, I mean, almost every week now in, in Evolution, in Insight Higher Ed and Chronicle of Higher Ed, you, you're reading about what Amazon is doing, what 2U is doing, what Coursera is doing, uh, Noodle, I mean, you name it. And that industry is also becoming mature and figuring out the, the IPOs, successful IPOs that have taken place in this last year, I think are indicating that investors are seeing those companies as the route to the uh, to the adult ed market rather than higher ed. And then the third thing is why is higher ed reluctant to change? It's like every business, you know, to be honest. I don't I don't want to hate on higher ed, but you know, there's a lot of legacy. Programs in place. There's, of course, vested interest. Okay, but I mean, again, every industry has it. But even when people want to make changes, there are it's it's expensive to make changes. Little things we've run into trying to fix transcripts to make them more skill-oriented. That's like a million dollars worth of coding into PeopleSoft. Uh, and again, not the hate on PeopleSoft, it's just endemic to the nature of how this stuff works. So there's just a lot of inertia that you have to get over to really embrace change. And so again, you know, our 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 hope is to say, look, people have done it. Here's a whole bunch of each chapter we're hoping is like a different example of what people are doing either back office stuff or curricular design or policy changes that really demonstrate what's possible again despite all of these headwinds and uh, where the future could be.
3: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Aaron. And actually, I was just going to emphasize what you had had mentioned at the end there is that out of the 4,300 institutions in this country, we know some are doing this work really well. Um, there are kind of good keystone examples of institutions have found out how to make transcripts work, how to make financing across different educational models work. And we really wanna hear from those folks to help advance the conversation forward. Cause you're right Amrit, the national industry is talking about this, but I'm, we're not seeing as much momentum in this space um, in terms of actual on the ground changes. And, and hopefully as by showcasing the folks who have been able to solve these problems, we can then see additional institutions starting to say, okay, you know what, this is hard, but we can figure out a more unified transcript system we can figure out how to support registration across multiple modalities. We can get this financing thing figured out, so.
1: Absolutely, and and for our listeners, I mean, if you feel you're one of those schools, if you have a story to share, please do visit either moderncampus.com or theevolution.com. Find the, uh, the blog post associated with this episode of The Elimination Podcast, and there'll be a button there for you to visit the call for chapters and, and to submit your proposal. And we'll, we'll get back into that as we go. I'm curious what you guys see as being the, the goal of the book. As, as we think about you know, new models of higher education, unbundled, customized, and DIY, what's the ideal state outcome upon publishing the book?
3: So I think part of this, as I just mentioned earlier, is kind of a guidebook for how we can showcase the institutions that are wrestling with these questions and coming up with really innovative solutions. And we kind of identified, if you view the call for chapters, you'll see four kind of main themes. And the first theme is is what are institutions of higher education doing within this space? The second theme is kind of what are our our, our post-secondary educational partners doing? So the ed techs, workforce innovators, uh, things of that nature. The third theme is really thinking critically about kind of policy infrastructure in terms of how institutions are structured. So, How can we figure out registrations? How can we figure out better transcripting and documentation? And then the fourth theme is kind of larger industry-wide policy influence. So how can we operate either within the existing policy infrastructure that we have or advocate for additional policy changes, whether that's related to financial aid, accreditation, regulations, things of that nature. So really kind of within the context of those four buckets, the central thesis or narrative of the book will hopefully showcase the, the who's doing well but then also helping advance that national conversation in a way that helps us really sink our teeth into how we can uh, make substantive changes either to our own institutions, um, like I described earlier, or to a broader policy environment. Because, you know, going back to your earlier question, Amrit, about some of the challenges we face, certainly many come from within, but there are also challenges that come from without, and that's namely the federal or state-related regulations and policy infrastructure that we're operating within. And if we can kind of have some sense of, you know, here are some ways that we and make those improvements then that's just more uh, fuel we can add to the fire for, for making those improvements in that ecosystem
2: yeah ideally it becomes normative for all adults all people right to step in and out of education and work and training and personal development programs and all of that is documented accountable it doesn't have to be credentialed but at least there's a quality standards attached you know recognize, standardize, and that's just, that's the norm. That is how it is, and that would be ideal.
1: You know, I'm curious as we think about this kind of new vision for higher education, this new model for higher education, again, I I don't think we're necessarily proposing something radical here. What we're really proposing is a more student-oriented and more flexible post-secondary ecosystem or post-secondary model. What would you consider to be the role of senior executives at any given institution when it comes to shifting their college or university towards a model that's sort of a new model, it's student centric, but right for them specifically. I mean, what are some of the first steps that a president or a provost could take to start shifting in this direction?
2: Really good question. So two things come to mind, both having to do with setting direction and strategy. So one part of it is seeing this future embedded within an institution's mission. So uh, many, many universities, right? And again, they're all across the spectrum here, but many institutions see themselves as being engaged with students 18 to 22 as undergrad uh, institutions. And then you you engage with them as alumni, but that alumni interaction is often not in a continual professional education realm or if it is, it's kind of episodic rather than necessarily almost like a Amazon Prime subscription model, right? Where people really are kind of engaged on, again, a regular basis. So kind of embracing that and thinking about that as part of the mission. The second part of that is what particular niche will an institution play in the landscape of this? All campuses are not alike, right? And it's an extraordinarily competitive market, the online adult uh, marketplace. So how do you think about your own niche and, and sort of local, if not local goals, at least sort of specialization goals? So that's all part one kind of mission. And, and then part two is it's really hard for senior executives to be able to say, you know, damn it, this is what we're going to do when the, you run up against these legacy models and vested interests, and the uh, need to build new structures that cost money, you're reallocating uh, resources there. So when push comes to shove to say, yep, this is what we're doing. And we're going to push through this, uh, this roadblock, or figure out how to get around this boulder to get to the other side. That's a tough thing. That's what senior execs do. You know, that's their job, but but it's hard. It's it's really, it's it's not trivial
1: at all.
3: One thing I would add to uh, Aaron's first point about kind of the the looking at the mission is also what I mentioned earlier about looking at your portfolio holistically. So taking that kind of 30,000 foot view, because many times institutions, especially the larger they are, operate within silos. And that's not just even between continuing ed and, and traditional four credit programming. That's even within traditional four credit programming and sometimes even within continuing ed. And so being able to say, all right, we've got all of these different educational products across this entire institution. How can we connect those dots now? And I think that's something that an individual in a, in that senior leadership role would really be able to do from their vantage point at that 30,000-foot level is connecting the dots across that entire academic portfolio.
1: Absolutely. It's interesting, you know, when I think about um, this concept, and it brings me to an idea that um, the Modern Campus CEO, Brian Kitty, talks about, the idea of shifting from a transactional model of education to a lifelong model of education. He frames it really eloquently as basically being, Right now, the traditional model is based around a, a two or a four-year relationship with a learner that then transforms into a donation-based relationship. But in the commercial space, a business would be in trouble if it, you know, restricted its relationships with any customer to two or to four years. I've used the example in the past of Amazon was to start asking you for donations. After it sold you a product, you probably would stop using Amazon. So, you know, as post-secondary institutions, as we shift to an environment where students are behaving more and more like customers and, and for the most part are acting as consumers in a very open industry, it's incumbent upon post-secondary institutions to find a way to deliver consistent value. And this seems like the framework, the conversation that gets us to that point of thinking outside the lens of transactional education. To one that's truly more more holistic, more values oriented, and richer over a lifetime of engagement.
2: Yeah, and Amrit, you know, to really um, hit your point hard, this is already happening. It, it's not as if oh, students are just doing what we tell them to do, and if we change, then all of a sudden it's going to open doors. They're already doing it. I mean, you, you look at, and I don't know, as, a, as students of higher ed, you know, Cliff Adelman used to do this work in the 90s, looking at enrollment patterns. And what he found is that the majority of students did not graduate from the institution they started from. And in fact, he called it swirling, but they swirled and, and accumulated credits from several institutions, two to three, I think was the norm, until they graduated because life intervenes, right? But their motivation was so strong that they would do it despite the institutions making it hard to transfer credits and uh, accommodate adult work schedules and the rest of it. It's almost a normative thing now. We as an industry, it's incumbent upon us to embrace this. You know, Otherwise, frankly, we get tossed aside or become a niche product for you know, the lucky few who can school full time or, you know, whatever, but you you get the point. This is not groundbreaking, but we do hope that the book, by pulling together so many of these almost like jigsaw puzzle pieces that are already out there, people then can see the, the picture that's very clearly in front of us. Well,
3: and you mentioned to the site, I really like how you described the um, kind of the lifelong model of the business model of higher education and it, as opposed to the transactional model. And I think that part of why that would be really compelling to institutions is because they can convert that in a way to be a much stronger business model overall. So what I mean by that is think about vertically integrating your products over 60 years as opposed to selling one product for four years, as you suggested, and then just asking for donations. Instead, if you can, as an institution, have a series of interconnected skills-based products, really, that your students can come back to time and time again, they come for a certificate, a degree, a bootcamp, a micro-credential, a couple of badges. 30 years later, they decide, I want a graduate degree they can become a return customer in a way that even donors can't necessarily always achieve by continually coming back to you and buying products. And that's what we see in the private marketplace is a lot of private companies are doing a really nice job of vertically integrating so that you're the main place they come back to. And I think a lot of institutions would benefit from such a mindset shift
2: in their business models as well. Neither Ryan and I come from the private industry. We grew up in public education. So, you know, the mission of education, making the world a better place, that is really embedded, absolutely grounded at the center of, of all that we're doing here. And despite, you know, the fact that we're talking about, frankly, you know, business models and engagement, that's different. But I don't want to lose that point either, because um, we really don't see it as either or, right? Either we, we accommodate people's ability to kind of engage with education throughout their lives, or we have a kind of pure version of higher education.
1: That's a fair point. That is a very, very important piece to bear in mind, that if it's not in the best interest of the learner, it shouldn't be something that the institution pursues. I think that we can all be honest about the fact that if we do anything as post-secondary institution or as an industry that's in the best interest of the learner, it will be in the best interest of the institution. And serving the best interest of the institution allows for that shift back to a place where maybe the institution is less reliant on tuition and fees and and finds mechanisms to generate more consistent or sustainable revenue over time that allows a step away or a step back from being, you know, extremely reliant on on those tuition dollars and those financial aid dollars. I think there's a lot of positive that comes out of finding ways to serve a wider group of individuals in, in a way that they need to be served. And like, you know, it's interesting to think about the dual benefit of doing the right thing.
2: Exactly right. And literally making the world a better place as a consequence of of this work, right? That's what drew us all into higher ed.
1: Again, for for anyone listening who has an idea, who wants to submit a chapter, who wants to learn more about the book, there are a number of ways that that you can find out. Feel free to email us us at info at evolutionwith3ls.com and we'll be happy to direct you in the right place. As you know, every episode of Illumination by Modern Campus is associated with a blog post on moderncampus.com. You can find the link in that blog post. We also have an article that's on evolution.com, co-authored by Aaron and Ryan. You can find it there. You can find it in the evolution post that's associated with this episode of Illumination. Also on the evolution, there are a number of ways for you to find the call for chapters. The proposal deadline is October the 9th. So please do find that page. Feel free to propose a chapter. This is a topic that the three of us are passionate about. We could probably keep talking for the next few hours, but we're going to have to cut it off here, at least for now. Aaron and Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both again for for taking the time out to chat today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Amrit, for giving us the chance. Yeah, we really appreciate it.
0: This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner,